So when I was a young boy, my father owned a Christian bookstore. And I remember that, that there was a period of time where there was a Christmas saying among Christians, and it was written on everything. It was written on cards and pins and hats and shirts that Jesus was the reason for the season. And we all as Christians realize that it's not about reindeer and snowmen and Santa, but it's about Jesus. And yet, at the same time, all of us, everybody here has had doubts, has had questions, especially when maybe God doesn't show up in the way that he should or at the time when he should. And at some point in our lives, and we all have seasons and sometimes years where we feel like this, you know, where we have doubts and we just ask, so what am I getting out of this? You know, where is this going? You know, is there anything really to this? If you've ever had that thought or that question, you know, or maybe one of those periods of doubt, I want to tell you that the Christmas story is for you. In fact, the Christmas story around the two characters that we're going to look at today, and we're going to see their story. And in some way, it's, their, it's your story and it's my story. And here's how it begins. Luke chapter 1, verse 5 says, In the time of Herod, that would be the Herod that killed all the babies in Bethlehem. In the time of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. And he belonged to the priestly division of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. So what this meant was that Elizabeth and Zechariah were both from the priestly line of Israel, which basically meant they were preacher's kids. And both of them says that they were righteous in the sight of God, which meant in this context that the writer Luke believed that when God looked at these two people, he just said, I know they're not perfect, but they're doing it right. Look at the way they live. Look at, you know, they're doing everything right. They're observing all the Lord's commands. And, you know, and if you read the Old Testament, that's a lot. And here's the thing is that they were doing it right. And here's what's amazing is that they were doing what they were doing as priests and followers of God based upon promises that had been given a couple thousand years earlier. And for the last 700 years, God had done nothing for the nation of Israel. Nobody had heard from God, either through prophet or any other way, for 700 years. He had been totally silent, seemingly absent. And so these two, they get up day after day after day, and they live their life as if Christmas is coming. They live their life as if they, there is a Messiah coming, as if God is actually going to keep his promise and fulfill his promise. And again, there was no evidence that God was going to do any of that. And yet, they were blameless, righteous. So what we want to do today is peer into their lives and just kind of say, hey, so Zechariah, you know, Elizabeth, you're such good people. How's that working out for you? Now watch the next verse. It says that they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to have kids, children, or to conceive. Now that's great. So, so let's get this great. Let's get this straight. They're getting up day after day, just waiting for the Messiah, serving in the temple, you know, being good people and, you know, maybe missing out on other opportunities. And this God that, that they were so thankful to leaves them without children. We found out later in the story that they had actually prayed. They had prayed the desperate prayers of any couple that wants to have a child. And Melissa and I know those desperate prayers very well. Now, 
Here's what's so ridiculous about this, is that their whole faithfulness to God, it was all based upon a promise made to Abraham 2,000 years before this. Not 2,000 years ago from now, but actually 2,000 years ago from when they lived in the first century, 4,000 years from now. God had appeared to Abraham, and here's what God said to Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, it tells us, he said, I will make you into a great nation, which, all right, that actually happened. And then he says, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great. And that happened because we all know who, you know, most of us have heard of Abraham. So that was 4,000 years ago. But here's where it starts to kind of break down. It says, and you'll be a blessing, and I will bless those that bless you, and I will curse those who curse you, and all peoples, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you, you know, you being Abraham. All people on earth were supposed to be blessed through Abraham. So this was kind of the root idea of what the, why the Jews believed that there was something more for their country of Israel. Because if you know the story, after God gave Abraham this promise, he finally had a son who had a son who had a bunch of sons who moved to Egypt, and they became a nation, the nation of Israel. And then they moved back to their land, you know, the promised land, and then they became a kingdom. And that's when things really took off. And that's when, you know, it looked like maybe during the age of this kingdom is when God was going to bless all the people of the earth through the lineage of Abraham. And maybe this was how the promises were going to be fulfilled. And so then there was David and the golden age of Israel through Solomon, you know, and things were absolutely incredible. And if ever there was a time for God to leverage the nation of Israel to bless everybody on the earth like he promised, it was the time of Solomon. Because after that, everything kind of fell apart. The nation split, there were wars, there were good kings and bad kings and you know, and between the time of Solomon and, and up until the time uh, that Zechariah and Elizabeth lived, the nation of Israel actually changed hands over 25 times. The Syrians took them over, the Babylonians took them over, the Greeks took them over, and then the Persians were there. I mean, it was like after a while they had absolutely no clout on any kind of international stage. They didn't even have an army half the time. They were exiled for seven years at one point. I mean, the nation of Israel, you know, they just became less and less a factor in any kind of world events, much less blessing the world. And the idea that somehow the whole nation of Israel would bless the whole world, I mean, not only was that, it seemed like that wouldn't happen, I mean, it couldn't happen through natural eyes. And then finally, in 65 B.C., it even got worse. Pompey the Great, the great Roman general, marches into Jerusalem, occupied the city again, pushed past the temple guards, went straight into the temple, past the priests, and marched right into the Holy of Holies. Now, the Holy of Holies was the place that the Jews believed that God dwelled. And they believed that only the high priest could go once a year and serve before God. That place that the Jews believed, they believed that if you went into there, and it actually, that if you went in unannounced, uninvited, God would strike you dead. And then it seemed like all was lost, and the priest would gasp as Pompey the Great walked straight into the Holy of Holies, looked around, and just walked out. And nothing happened to him. 
So word would spread throughout Jerusalem, and the implications were very clear. Jupiter, the god of the Romans, must be more powerful than Yahweh. Or, or worse yet, Yahweh doesn't even exist. He's not even there. And Zechariah would have been a little boy when this happened. And no doubt his father, just like his wife Elizabeth's father, they were both priests during that era. And I imagine he remembers the day that his father would come home and tear his robes and mourn because the temple had been desecrated with the presence of a Roman general who ignored all of their customs, all of their traditions, and all of their warnings, walked into the Holy of Holies unaffected and just walked out. And God did absolutely nothing. And yet, that little boy, Zach, he had that in his memory. With that in his memory, he went into the priesthood. He served God his whole life. He married Elizabeth, who served God her whole life, who remembered the story, remembered the sacrilege, remembered the emotion of why doesn't God act on our behalf and is God even still alive and why doesn't he act on the behalf of nation of Israel and, and what about the promise of Abraham and what in the world and how in the world could this little bitty tidy, tiny nation impact the world this little nation it was hanging on by a thread to even exist and many Many Jews during that period of time actually turned away from temple worship, turned away from their belief in God. They became those that integrated into Greek life or Roman life because after all, I mean, it seemed to be over. God seemed to be dead or at the very least just not powerful anymore. But not Zechariah and not Elizabeth. And if you had come to them at that time and just told them and said, Friends, it's over. Come on, give it up. This is a myth. It's not going to happen. I mean, it can't happen. It's been 2,000 years. And yeah, part of Abraham's promise came true. Yes, there was a nation, and people know the name of Abraham. But Israel will never rise again on the world stage. Israel will never be a player. Nothing could ever possibly come from this itty-bitty, dusty part of the Roman Empire. There's nothing that can come from it that could impact the world. Just walk away and enjoy the few remaining years of your retirement, your life. Because if there ever was a God, he's abandoned us. And if we had whispered that into their ear during this, this difficult times, during these golden, time, golden years, during their golden years, we would have actually been wrong. Because the reason Luke starts his story with this story is because this was the beginning of something brand new that would ultimately result in the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. And the reason that this story is so important to me and so important to you is because at some point in our Christian experiences, God sometimes is quiet and seemingly inactive. Sometimes we look around at our lives and we just think, why am I even doing this? You know, why am I, you know, attending? Why am I serving? Why am I tithing? You know, why am I believing? Why am I obeying? Why am I missing out on everything else? Why, are not, why am I not moving in with somebody I'm not married to? Why am I not taking the money and running off? Why in the world am I continuing to day after day after day live my life as if something is bigger than me? 
I mean, am I just following along because my parents, you know, taught me this? Or is this, you know, or is this just my fear that if I do something or abandon my faith or abandon my walk with God, that somehow it's going to go bad for me? I mean, is this just a superstition, this thing that I believe? I mean, there are moments and there are seasons within our lives and within our relationships where we all have wondered, is God active? Is God listening? Does God even care? And on Christmas, the answer is a resounding yes. So here's how the story goes on. Luke 1.8. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, um, or according to the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So essentially, there are 23 groups of priests, and they would cast lots, or in other words, they would basically gamble to find out who would be chosen. And this would be something that would happen maybe once in a lifetime for a priest to be chosen. And he's chosen, and he goes into the place, and, or, and he stands right outside of the curtain that divides the outer temple from the Holy of Holies where God resides. And he stands right outside the Holy of Holies. And everybody else, you know, leaves that part of the temple, and he offers incense to God. And so it's a very sacred occasion. And in verse 10, when the time came for the burning of incense, all of the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So he's in there all by himself. And an angel of the Lord appears to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. So he's in there. He's doing his, his thing. His, it's another day in the life of a priest, just trying to be faithful. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appears. And when Zacharias sees him, it says that he was startled and he was gripped with fear. Now, the angel of the Lord says to him, and this is pretty much the standard angel greeting or response. You know, if you ever read the New Testament or the Old Testament, angels, I mean, they just go ahead and get this part out of the way with, you know, and the reason that the angels have to start their conversations with fear not or don't be afraid is because when people see a Bible angel, they are terrified. Bible angels are big, powerful and they can be scary. Even when they're not trying to be scary, they're just so powerful, they're scary. And so when this angel appears and he's got good news, but still, you know, Zachariah's like, oh my gosh, it's an angel. And so, um, and, and he was a righteous man. I mean, imagine if it were us, right? You know, he didn't even have anything to be afraid of. You know, I mean, like an angel appears to us like that. It's like, we just start confessing stuff, you know? Uh, but here's what the angel says to him. He says, your prayer, this is absolutely amazing. He says, your prayer has been heard. And then watch this. He says, your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. And you are to call him John. And John is going to become a famous John. John is going to become John the Baptist John. And this is how the whole story begins. And he will be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will become great in the sight of the Lord, and he's to never take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even before he's born. Now, in verse 16, the story continues. And he, in the people of Israel, many of the people of Israel, he will bring back to the Lord. So why would John have to bring people back to the Lord? Because many in Israel, remember, they had abandoned God. And they, and they had good reason to do so. God had not, had not spoken or done anything for Israel for 700 years. 
I mean, it seemed like it was over. It was a myth. It was fun like it was while it lasted. There were interesting stories to tell our children, but the God of Israel seemed like he had long abandoned Israel. And so it, then it says that he will go on in, you know, in front of the Lord with the spirit of Elijah, which was an Old Testament prophet, to turn the heart of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And then watch this, verse 18. And Zechariah asks the angel, he said, how can I be sure of this? Now, it gets, it gets, he gets really diplomatic here. Watch this, guys. Take note. He says, I am an old man, and my wife, <laughs> my wife is not old, but she's well along in years. <laughs> so, so he says, I'm old, and you know, she's you know, well along in years. And so he tells the angel this, look, you know, I'm with you. I'm glad you heard our prayers, but I'm thinking that you're kind of a little bit late because we've been praying. Maybe since we were 20, we've been praying since we were 30. You know, we've been praying since, you know, for the heck of it, we just prayed through our 40s. And in our 50s, you know, we almost quit praying. And, and now I'm old. And the angel says to him, he says, what do you mean, how do you know it's going to happen? I'm Gabriel. I mean, I'm Gabriel. I am an angel. You are talking to an angel and you're wondering how this can happen? I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you, you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day that this actually happens because you didn't believe my words, which will come true. And watch this, and this is the amazing part of this whole thing. It says, which will come true at the appointed time. I love that phrase because it was like, you mean God had this day marked on his calendar? You mean all these 700 years and since the glory days of David and Solomon, God has actually waited this long on purpose? Yeah. You mean God has watched his people abandon him in droves because it looked like there was no way in the world that the nation of Israel will ever bless the world again. We have no platform to bless the world. We're just another people that are conquered. And every time a new conqueror comes along, we get conquered. But God has been planning this all along. There was an appointed time. You mean God didn't quit paying attention? And he's not only heard my prayers, but the prayers of his people for generations? Yep, exactly. You mean even though God has been so quiet, he hasn't been inactive? He hasn't lost interest? No, not at all. At the appointed time. Verse 21. Meanwhile, the people that were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. I mean, this wasn't like a long ordeal. He was supposed to kind of do his, his thing and come out, and they'd go about their business. But they're waiting and waiting and waiting. And so when he finally comes out, he couldn't speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable, and so, or unable to speak. And so, when his time of service was completed, he returned home, and after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant, and after five months, they remained in seclusion. So, see, God 
had done this for me, she said. He has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. But that, you see, that was just the warm-up of the whole thing. That was just like the conversation before the real conversation. Because this was just evidence that God was gearing up to do what God had planned to do all along. Even when it seemed like he was silent. Even when it seemed like he was absent. Even when it seemed like he was missing from their lives. And here's how the story concludes and how our next story begins. Watch this. Verse 26 says, So in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel, same angel, to to a Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin planned to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And we know the rest of the story. But you see, this is our story, right? I mean, this is our dilemma sometimes, is do we stay or do we go? Is God listening or is he not? Do we believe or do we stop believing? Do we keep serving or do we just go do something else? Do we keep giving and tithing or do we just spin and know that there's nothing to life other than what we see around us? I mean, do we bring, do we bring people to Jesus and his church? And do we mentor other people in the faith? I mean, do we strive and fight for unity in a world that is at each other's throats? Or is all of that for no use? Do we stay engaged? Do we stay in that difficult marriage? Or do we just do what everybody else is doing? Do we do the shady deal? Or do we continue to maintain our integrity? You know, do we drive home just thinking, why do I, why do I maintain my integrity? Nobody cares. Nobody's promoting me. Nobody's paying attention. I mean, they're laughing behind my back because I'm a Christian and I have standards. And I wonder whatever, what in the world I'm doing it for. And, and sometimes I know that they wonder. Or maybe you're a student and you're just not going to cheat. But everybody cheats. And you say, well, why don't I cheat? I mean, nobody gets called. I won't get called. Why am I always guilt-ridden when I sin? Why don't I just do what everybody else does? And the good news is this. If that is your situation, if you have asked those questions, there's absolutely nothing wrong with you. If that's your situation, welcome to the common experience of those who have, fa- have placed their faith in Christ and decided to follow him in spite of what they see around them. Welcome to the world of Zachariah and Elizabeth, a couple that decided we are going to walk blamelessly before our God despite what we see in spite of what people say, even despite that we can't even imagine how God will give us a child, and we can't even imagine how God would use the nation of Israel to bless the world when we are nothing but another occupied Roman territory. You see, that's the dilemma that all of us will face or, or are facing in our walk with God. And the, and the good news is this, that's normal. But the challenge is, is will we be a Zachariah and Elizabeth? You know, the challenge is, will you be that unique student, that unique teenager, that unique college student, that unique couple that just says, look, we're gonna battle this out. We're not gonna walk away like everybody else does. That unique person in the business world that says, I'm gonna maintain my standards and my integrity because at the end of the day, I wanna know that to the best of my ability, I am blameless before God whether I see God do anything on my behalf or not. And Christmas, the story of Christmas is a reminder. 
It's a reminder that your faith in God is not misplaced, that there is a point in time. It's a reminder that God, that when God is silent, he's not necessarily inactive. And when he's inactive, it's not that he's uninterested, but even when we're convinced that he's uninterested, it has nothing to do with his plan for the world or for you. It's a reminder that God can do anything that he chooses to do, a reminder that God pays attention and is moved by and blessed by those that remain faithful. But more than any of that, the story of Christmas is a reminder that your faith and your hope is not in vain. Your faith in God is not, I'm telling you, it is not misplaced. God is the God who keeps his promises when it seems like his promises are absolutely impossible to keep. So just hang on because there is an appointed time. There is a plan and God has not forgotten you. Let's pray together. Father, I just pray specifically for the men and the women and the students, the families, the, the parents who are right in the middle of that season. And they just began wondering, why do I even try? Why do I even bother? Why do I pray? Why do I agonize? Why, why do I even hope? Why do I believe? Why do I continue to, to read the word and, and walk bef blamelessly before you when it seems like, like my God has no idea that I even exist? Heavenly Father, in this moment right now, just reach down in that amazing way that you do and just remind us in our hearts that you are a God that, doesn't ask, that does ask us to call you Father. And as our Heavenly Father, you actually personally and individually love us. And you have a plan for our lives. And you know our name. And our faith, it's not in vain. Our hope, it's not misplaced. Give us the courage to be like Zachariah and Elizabeth, men and women who are confident that God is the God that keeps his promises and a God that is with us every single day. Thank you so much for this Christmas season. Thank you for the reminder. And thank you for Jesus, the baby in Bethlehem, who sealed it once and for all as our Savior. And that silent night, that you are the God that can be trusted. In Jesus' name.